Wonderful, wonderful. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 2, if you will. Say, boy, Pastor, you've been in James a long time. Yep. Lots of stuff there that's good for us. Amen. We're going to talk today a little bit further about our authentic faith. What, what is faith, really? I mean, what, when we say, I'm a person of faith, what, what does that mean? And so we're talking about different issues that pertain to faith and how we become truly people of faith. So today, I want to talk to you for a few moments about faith matures. Faith matures. Now, you've heard the old story about, uh, you know, it, it's cute when you give a, a baby a bottle to drink. And then they go on to say, but when you have to part the mustache to get the baby bottle in. There's something wrong with that picture, right? Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands here, but, you, you know, we all know people that have been saved for a billion years. And yet they still are having the bottle stuck in between their mustache. You know, I believe God's calling his church to grow up and become the mature people that he has not only called us to be, but will enable us to be. So today in James chapter 2, I want us to read verses 20 through 24. Uh, read along with me if you will. It says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, what faith apart from works, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, the faith that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, Father, I pray that you'll help me this morning to preach this message as you put it in my heart. Lord, you told me several months ago for me to put my efforts into building people. And you'd take care of building the church. So, Lord, not, I'm not attempting to try to build this big ministry that is well known around the world. I'm trying to build the people that you have placed under my care. So I pray that you'll let me preach effectively and in such a way that they can grasp it and put it to use in their lives. If you'll help me do that today, then I believe people will leave here changed by the word of God and the power of God in their lives. Ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, I know we start using these theological terms like salvation and justification and sanctification and things like that. For many believers, that just is the cue for your eyes to glaze over. But we have theology for a reason. Theology brings to us the mind of God and the will of God for us. And when we grasp it and can get a hold of it, and use it and apply it, it can change our lives. So I've been talking to you about this idea of faith and works and justification because I believe that it will mature us into the people that God wants us to be. 
The problem is, and in, in particular our scripture today, is that it's very difficult to understand because it almost seems as though it contradicts other scripture. John, if you will, put those two verses up there. I want to show you what I mean. I want you to look, if you will, at James chapter 2, verse 24. It says, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. But now look, if you will, at Romans chapter 3 and verse 28. Paul says, for we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now look very closely at those and you'll see that it almost looks like that they're contradicting one another. Because James says that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. But then Paul comes along and says, we can can conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So now we have to ask ourselves the question, which is it? Which is right? Is James right or is Paul right? And the answer is, they're both right. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I had a piece of paper and I drew a figure on that and laid it on the ground, on the floor here. I asked a couple of people from the congregation to come and tell me what it was they saw. And the person over here said, why, that's a six. And the person over here said, oh, that's a nine. Well, they were both right. It's just that they were looking from different perspectives. And so what you need to know today is that Paul and James are seeing different things, but they're saying the same thing in confirmation of the gospel that that we live by. So they're saying different things, but they're saying the same things. They're, they're, They're speaking the exact same truth, yet they're writing from different vantage points. Paul is addressing the false idea that we can earn our salvation by our works, what we do. James, on the other hand, is addressing an easy faith that just requires all we have to do is have an intellectual belief that Jesus, who he says he is, and then we don't ever have to change anything about our lives. And so they're both taking these from different perspectives. So today, I want to try to help you to come to grips with this and understand. And we're going to do this by looking at contrasting pictures in Scripture. The first thing that I want you to notice is that there are two pictures of faith in Scripture. Notice chapter 2, verse 20 in James. It says, you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. Now, I want you to notice that word useless. Now, in Scripture, it is sometimes translated as dead. Now, dead here does not necessarily mean dead. It doesn't mean that it ceases to live. It just means that it's useless. It still exists. It just isn't helping anyone. It, It is useless to do any good in anyone's life. That's, that's what it means here. And, and so James is not contrasting mature faith with immature faith or lukewarm faith. He's talking about uh, genuine faith as opposed to those who just simply think they have faith, uh, but they actually don't. So the first thing that we see is that dead faith does not save. 
Now, the word that is used here sometimes is the word empty. How many of you like coffee? Can I see your hands? How many coffee drinkers do we have? We're a nation of coffee drinkers. We like to drink coffee. And most people who like to drink coffee like it a particular way. I know there are people here that you drink it black every time and would never have it any other way. And for some of you, the darker it is, the better it is. You like black coffee, dark coffee. Some of you like to put sweetener in your coffee and you put sugar in or Splenda or honey or whatever it is that you put in it. Some of you, you're just so stinking sweet that you just put your finger down in it and that's all that is necessary. Some of you like it that way. Some people like cream. But whether you like it with cream or sugar or both or black, there is a principle that is involved here that you need to understand. These beautiful little cups mean nothing to us as long as they are empty. Now, this cup sits in my office. It's very special to me because I acquired this cup in Childersburg, Alabama during the time that we were saying our final goodbyes to my father. We had gone down to the Waffle House. How many of you like Waffle House? Amen. And it was late at night and we were in there and just kind of collecting ourselves. We'd been to the to, to the visitation all day and we, we traveled long and, and we were tired and we were there eating waffles and, and bacon and sausage and eggs and all that. Don't leave yet. We haven't been dismissed yet. <clears throat> and when the waitress found out uh, what it was we were there for, she gave me this mug and she said, I'm so sorry for the loss of your father, and she handed me this mug, and I've, I've kept it with me. I, you know, I'm weird, I get it, but it's special to me. But the reality is, is that this Waffle House mug, no matter how special it is to me, until it is filled with coffee, and I put my fingers in it and partake of it, it is really useless in the sense that it does not produce what its purpose is. It's it's not useless in the fact that it means something to me, but it is not performing its purpose that it was created for. I also have my dad's harmonica, and I keep it in my bedroom downstairs, and uh, when my dad could play and when he was alive, he'd play that thing and he used, to, he used to play the Red River Valley on it. I don't know how many of you people have ever heard that song or not, but I, I won't ask you to hold your hands up because it's a pretty old song. But he, he'd play that harmonica and it sounded so pretty. He'd sit out on the porch and play it. I have that harmonica, but I don't know how to play a harmonica. So when I try to play the Red River Valley, it sounds... Almost like it's demon pet possessed, you know what I mean? Because it, it, it really sounds horrible. But the fact of the matter is, is that when someone who is anointed to play that can blow the air properly through the chambers of that harmonica, that harmonica comes alive with music because that's the reason that it exists. But until someone is able to use it properly, then it means nothing to anyone. It is useless. And so what James is saying here is that unless you put works together with your faith, your faith is absolutely useless. It will not save you or anyone else. 
But we also see in Scripture that, that there is dead faith uh, which does not save, but there is living faith which does save. Now, when he's talking about faith that is alive and active, he points back to chapter 2, verse 1, where it talks about having faith in Jesus. And it points back to chapter 1, verses 3 and 6, that talks about having faith that perseveres in the dark times of life. Let me tell you, if your faith doesn't work when your world is falling apart, your faith is no good. But when your world is falling apart, uh, that anointed living faith will rise up in you uh, and give you the ability to stand uh, in the middle of your mess. Amen. He talks about in chapter 2, verse 5, he talks about people who have living faith and live faith in them. They don't favor people based on their outside labels. They don't look at people and say, well, that's a black person. Or that's a white person, or that's an Italian person, or that's an Asian person, or that's a poor person, or that's a rich person. You see, if you look at people that way, there's something wrong with your faith. But when we come to a place where we have active, living faith, then we won't put labels on other people because we don't operate in favoritism. Because we see things through God's eyes. We see them through the creator's eyes. And the same person that created me is the same person that created Al Johnson. And the same person that created Jocelyn Martinez. And is the same God that created every living individual in this room. And your faith is dead if you look at them and see their label before you see their creation. That's what he's talking about. Living faith. Live faith. So we've seen two pictures of faith and now we see two pictures of righteousness. James chapter 2 and verse 21 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now this word righteousness is used many different ways in scripture. Sometimes it's used in a positive light and sometimes it's in a negative light. But in this passage, he's talking about two pictures of what righteousness looks like. And the first one, it we'll call positional righteousness. And it refers to how we stand before God. Positional righteousness changes our standing before God. Now, what is this? This means that when we come to Jesus, and by faith we say, I believe that you are who you say you are. You did what you said you did. You, you came, you lived, you died, you rose again. You're seated at the right hand of the Father where you ever lived to make intercession for the saints of God. And one day you're going to come again and take those who are watching for you and waiting for you so that where you are we can live also. That's called positional righteousness. I believe it. And the instant that I believe it and repent of my sin and ask the Spirit of God to come inside of me, I am positionally as righteous as I will ever be in my life. Because the Scripture says that He writes my name in the Lamb's book of life, and He remembers my sins against me no more. Say no more. 
that thing you did 10 years ago? Jesus just says, what sin are you talking about? It's covered by my blood. What sin are you referring to? It's been forgiven by my blood. It's positional righteousness. It is symbolized by the veil in the temple that was torn in two on the day that Jesus was crucified. When that veil came apart, he was saying, enter all who will into the glories of the Lord. And now the scripture says we can come boldly under the throne of grace so that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you are flawed. You are as righteous as you will ever be. Somebody say amen. Man, that takes a lot of pressure off when you know that nothing that I can do can make me more righteous because Jesus did it all. So it's positional righteousness, but then there is practical righteousness. Now, if positional changes how I stand before God, then practical righteousness changes how I live before God. I don't live according to the world's standards. I don't live according to what the world says. I don't get upset when I find out a piece of news that other people are worried about because I know that I'm covered by the grace of God. I know that he's got it all under control. I get tickled at Christians that are so bent out of shape over politics and right now they can't even hardly live through it all. Listen, the king's heart is in the Lord's hand. It's going to be okay. And if it's not going to be okay, then when it's all over with, I'm still going to spend eternity in the land that was created for me. I don't have to worry about it. Practical righteousness. So now we've looked at two pictures of faith and two pictures of righteousness, but now we need to uncover two pictures of works. Look at verse 22 and 23. It says, you see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Man, that's amazing to me. That he would care enough to call us the friend of God. Now he's talking about works. The Greek word here is the word ergon. E-R-G-O-N. Ergon. And it translates in scripture actions, deeds, or works. So anytime that we see actions, deeds, or works in scripture, it is sometimes used in a positive way, sometimes negative. So let's look. Works motivated by the flesh... Do not honor God. Works motivated by the flesh do not honor God. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about people who are trying to work their way to salvation. And in the book of Romans and Galatians, you'll see on many occasions where people are trying to do things so that they can be saved. There are people who would go out and get circumcised 
because they believed that it was what that it that it would identify them as the people of God. But that was an Old Testament thing. That was an Old Testament covenant with God. They didn't need to be circumcised. I, I've never seen a man in his right mind that would want to do something like that. And yet that's what they were doing. Going out and getting circumcised because they believed that that sign would identify them with the people of God. But the outward sign of circumcision did not change the inner position of their heart. So they're doing stuff so that it could be saved. They'd obey various laws. They would abstain from certain types of foods. They'd say, well, I can't do it. Now, my, my daughter hates pork. She won't eat pork. She hates it. I don't know why she hates it, but she hates it. She won't. It's not hard for her to abstain from, from pork. Now, I don't like church chicken gizzards. And so it's, it's really not hard for me to abstain from chicken gizzards. Now, livers, you fry some of those babies up, and I'm ready to go. I like me some chicken livers. But there are th some things that I just don't like. Brussels sprouts. Who in their right mind would like Brussels sprouts? They're from the devil. I mean, who could like Brussels sprouts? And yet there were people that would eat uh, certain types of food and then abstain from others so that they could impress God. And all that the writer here is saying is, is that none of that works. You can get circumcised all you want to. Circumcise everybody in your family and it won't save your household. You can abstain from any kind of food that you want to. It will not change your spiritual standing before God because works motivated by flesh do not honor God. Somebody said legalism is believing that being right before God is ultimately a result of doing enough to earn his favor. You see, this is what's wrong with the prosperity gospel today. Because it's all about what I do to gain God's favor. God will bless his people. But God's blessing upon his people is always in response to putting God's kingdom first, not putting you first, not putting what you want first, but saying, God, whatever you want, whatever that looks like, whatever that feels like, then God, if it's your will, I will put the kingdom of God first in my life. And then he says, oh, okay, well, if you do that, then all these other things shall be added unto you. Let me tell you something. If you're just doing what you're doing just to try and get the blessings of God, it will not work. You put him first. You see, the greatest... I always, I always get tickled at that song. I'm trying to think of who sings. I think it's Garth Brooks. It, 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 he talks about this, 
he goes to the fair and he sees this woman that he liked in high school or this girl. And, and he, he, want, he always wanted her to be his wife. And you know, you know how the story goes. And he prayed, oh God, if I could just have her, if, if she could just be my wife, if I, if, she could, if I could just make her mine, oh God, what a blessing that would be. And if you know the song, you know that he did not marry that young lady, but he went on and married somebody else. And as he's there at the fair with his now wife, he says something like this. He says, I'm so grateful for unanswered prayers. Because the blessing in his life now was so much greater than the blessing that would have come had he had his own way. So I'm here to say to you today that I'm thankful for unanswered prayers where I don't always get what it is I'm hoping for, but I get what God is hoping for me. Works generated as the fruit of faith do honor God. In other words, if I do a work in response to the Spirit of God that is in me, then that will honor God. It's just what we did a little bit earlier when we were receiving an offering. If we were just trying to do that and impress people, it won't bless anybody. But when the Holy Spirit whispers into your ear, here is an opportunity that I am giving you to be able to bless someone and help someone, and then we respond to it, then that will bring honor to God. And so James says, when you love the needy, it will honor God. When you have mercy for the poor, it will honor God. When you care for those who are impoverished, it will honor God. And when you treat others without favoritism, it will honor God. I'm going to step out on a limb here and trust that you love me enough to receive what it is I'm about to say. We live in a nation right now that is absolutely torn apart by political differences. And right now, the thing that is more polarizing than anything in the United States of America today is how are we going to treat immigrants? How are we going to deal with people who are not like us? Now listen, I'm not an idiot. We need to have vetting as to who's coming into our nation. I've had people come over here to that parsonage from the bus stop and come and knock on my door and want to know if they can come in when I've got granddaughters in there that I'm responsible for. And I have no idea who they are. I don't know if they've got a gun in their, their back pocket or concealed carry or not. I do. But I don't know whether or not they do. And it would not be wisdom for me to say, well, sure, my home's your home. Just come on in. If you want to sleep in my bed tonight, sleep in my bed. I got a couple of girls here. You know, if you want to, if you want to go and play blocks with them or, or Legos with them, just knock yourself out. No. We have to use wisdom, which includes some type of process that vets individuals. But if we're not careful... We can get so hard-hearted towards people who are in real need. I think about Syrian refugees and how they're being slaughtered, slaughtered daily. People coming in and taking their children and raping them and killing them and slaughtering them. 
I know there's two sides to the story. I know that there are two ways to perceive this. But all I know is that I'm a representative of the grace of Jesus Christ. And he has called me to love people on his behalf. And I cannot love people as long as I'm afraid of them. If I'm afraid of their skin color, if I'm afraid of the part of town that they happen to live in, if I'm afraid, it will affect my ability to minister the grace of Jesus Christ. That school that we helped a couple of weeks ago has refugees in it that America is teaching how to speak the language and, and how to exist in a country like ours. Now, I know you're going to line up in the foyer and you're going to give me a piece of your mind when church is over. I'm okay. I'm a big man. I can handle it. I've got broad shoulders. But I don't care what opinions are if they are contrary to the word of God which tells us to love and to be full of grace and to be full of mercy. Yes, use wisdom. Yes, don't be an idiot. But let our hearts never become so hard that we cannot love those who are in need. Say amen or oh me, one or the other. We see through Abraham that faith creates work. I know some of you know, I don't want to hear that. I've got enough work in my life. No, here's what I mean by this. Let's read Genesis chapter 15. After these things, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. And he said, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childish. Childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven. And number the stars if you were able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Notice verse 6. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. When God gives you a promise, you can either choose to believe it or reject it. But see, here's the thing. If you base whether or not you're going to believe the promises of God or not on whether or not it makes sense to you, you're going to miss a lot of God's blessings because most of God's blessings make no common sense whatsoever because he causes us to live above the world system. He calls us to swim upstream rather than float downstream in the current of the world. And I don't know about you, but I have no desire to swim with the world. I want to go contrary to the way of the world because God's way is always contrary to the world. He said, look at all the stars in the sky. That's how much I'm going to bless you. That's how much your offspring is going to be. And as Abram looked up into the sky, he's confronted with this idea of can I believe this or not? Can I believe this or not? Can I believe this or not? And the scripture says he chose to believe the word of the Lord. 
<laughs> and from that moment, he started walking in faith. But we also see through Abraham that works complete faith. Go over to Genesis chapter 22, verses 9 through 12. Everybody okay? Punch your neighbor and say, wake up. Genesis 22, 9 through 12, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But... The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, some scholars believe I'm ready for you, Miss Donna. You can come shut me up anytime you want to. Some scholars believe that between Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 22 was a span of 30 years. So God came to Abram in Genesis chapter 15 and gave him a promise and said, This is going to be your reality. But that promise was not realized until 30 years later in Genesis chapter 22. So what did Abraham do? He believed God. That didn't change. That didn't change between Genesis 15 and Genesis 22, you say, ah, pastor, I got you, got you, got you, got you. Because between Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 22, Abraham took matters into his own hands. He said, God, you promised me you'd give me an heir from my own womb. And yet my wife, Sarah, cannot conceive. So God, if you don't mind, I'm going to help you out a little bit. Sarah came to him and said, why don't you go in to your servant and give her your seed so that God's promise can be realized. It was not God's promise for that to happen. Do you remember when Abraham lied about who Sarah was? Not once, but twice. She's my sister. She's not my wife. No need for you to kill me so you can take her to be part of your your harem. She's my sister. Half truth. Half truth. Look it up. She was his half sister. Half truth. Half truths are whole lies. Somebody praise the Lord. half-truth got him to compromise the will of God for his life. Half-truth. That's the problem with so much of what we hear in the media today. 
It's only what they want you to know. It's not the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's half truth. It's fake news in many instances. And before you get upset with me, it's coming from the media and it's coming from the politicians as well. I could shout on that one. But as a child of God, I have this thing called discernment that God has given me that will help me to know what the truth is and what the truth is not. And when God speaks clearly to you about His promise, don't negotiate with the devil for a half-truth and a half-blessing because you won't get the half-blessing. You won't get any blessing at all. Because when you start negotiating with God, it nullifies His will for your life. So when when did Abram believe? He believed before he did anything. He believed before he went into Sarah. He believed before he fathered Isaac. He believed before he walked Isaac up the side of that mountain to sacrifice him before God. He believed before. He didn't have it all laid out for him. He didn't know how God was going to do it. He simply knew that God said, this is the heir of promise. And when Abraham walked up the side of that mountain, he said, I don't know how God's going to do it. But if I kill this child of promise, I know he's going to have to raise him from the dead. Because God said, this is the child of promise. Abram, Abram didn't see the ram in the thicket. He didn't know that God had already provided for him. He couldn't see it. He couldn't understand it. He was just grounded in faith. I know that God said it. That's the only thing that matters to me. I don't care what things look like. I don't care what it seems like. I don't care what the world says it should be. I'm standing with God because God's word never fails. Stand with me if you will. I believe there are two groups of people in this house this morning. I believe that there are people in this house today that needs to make the first step of faith. It's time for you to stop flirting with God and fall into His arms. Embrace Him so that He can embrace you properly. I have known people through the years that have flirted with God for years and years. I have known people who have sat in church pews and seats with white knuckles saying, Oh God, I know I need you, but I don't want to take that step. Last week we had seven of our children and young people that came and either rededicated their lives to the Lord or dedicated their lives for the very first time. And when they did, it came to my mind to be 
as you should be in the kingdom of God, you have to come as a little child. You have to come as a little child. Stop worrying about what people are going to think about you. Stop worrying about whether or not you can maintain. Stop worrying about whether or not it'll be the cool thing to do. Stop worrying about all that and just say, Lord, you've proven yourself to be good to me. And today, I'm going to take that first initial step. I'm going to believe in you. But there's a second group of people in this house today. God has spoken very clearly to you what you need to do to initiate a process in your life that will ultimately bring you to a place of recovery. But as long as you remain stubborn with God and refuse to play by His rules and try to negotiate with Him how it can and should be, you'll never, ever, ever walk into the blessings that He has for you. But if you'll take one step, He will help you to take the next one and the next one and the next one and you will ultimately find victory in your life 30 years between Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 22 a lot of mistakes in between a lot of out and out disobedience between the two one of the greatest men of faith that this world has ever known is the man who used to be called Abram who we now know as Abraham the father of faith this week on Facebook I saw Fred White posted something that just excited me so much I don't know how many of you know Fred or Facebook friends with Fred but Sharon's wife. Husband. Forgive me. Sharon's the wife. Sharon's the wife. He's the husband. He posted a picture on there about his recovery from alcohol. He talked about how that years ago he was held in the grips of the bondage called alcoholism. But he chose to take a different path. And he's been sober now for 20 years. Because he chose a different path. And I want you to know today, it doesn't matter what you're facing. God is able to see you through and to help you find victory if you will choose to walk with Him. It's a choice. It's a choice. Starts with faith. Faith creates the work and then the work completes the faith. getting a little bit nervous in here right now. I believe there's some people here today you're going to take a step of faith. 
I believe you're going to take that step of faith so that God can reveal to you the works that you need to be involved with so that those works can complete your faith. Are you here today and you need to accept Jesus as your personal Savior? You need to take that first initial step of faith and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I, I believe there may be some people in this house today that you know what it is to walk with the Lord, but for whatever reasons, you just quit some point you just stopped you just threw in the towel can I tell you that his mercy is here for you today and if you will accept him back into your life he, he never went anywhere he never went anywhere he's just waiting for you to renew that relationship in just a moment when we begin to sing I want you to come if you need to accept Christ or restore your relationship but there's another group of people in here and you're right in the middle of a circumstance that requires your work, your spiritual work so that your faith can be completed. And no matter what you're going through, I want you to come and we're going to pray with you. Prayer team, come get in place. I'm going to need your help. Spread yourself out. And if either one of those situations applies to you today, out and come and let us pray with you today. Go ahead and sing Liz if you will. Come now if you will. Let us pray with you.
display the love of Jesus Christ? How far are you willing to go? It's easy enough to love people that love you. Even people in the world who are without Christ can do that. It's not hard to people to love the little old lady next door that brings you peach cobbler and ice cream every now and then. It's not hard. It's not hard to love a boss that is good for you and creates a wonderful atmosphere for you to work in. It's not hard for you to love that individual. But how hard is it to love that individual and be forgiving? someone who has hurt you desperately or or has a lifestyle that is different than what you agree with what about that person who identifies as transgender can you love them for Jesus or do you need to somehow call them out on Facebook may not be your president but how willing are you to pray for him so that the fruit of the spirit will rise up in him I asked the prayer team this morning this week the Holy Spirit encouraged me to pray for our president in this way he doesn't understand this thing called criticism he's made his billions in a world where he had to slam people and put them down and criticize them and argue with them and negotiate with them and it's a natural thing for him to do but if the Lord can work out some of the things that I had in my life he can work out some of the things in our president's life and his tongue can start sounding like it's being affected by the fruit of the spirit So I'm praying for him against this demon of criticism, not only in him, but in our media and every special interest group in the United States because criticism, it has no place in the life of a child of God. Bitter water and waters of blessing never come out of the same mouth child of God so I want to ask you again how much are you willing to love that person who doesn't look like you and doesn't walk like you and talk like you I was in Sam's the other day and I was watching people and there was this guy he's walking through and his pants were about down here walking like this he'd pull his pants up fall back down he'd walk a little bit further and my first reaction was dude they make these things called belts that will take care of that problem for you and I felt that spirit coming up in me where I started looking And I thought to myself, my God created that individual and loves him as much as he loves me. Church, I'm telling you, 
we have to be willing to love people on God's terms not on our terms and you know that I love you today you know that I'm only saying this because we've got to somehow raise the bar become the people that God has called us to be. Here's the good news. We can do it because He has equipped us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. It's ours right now. We serve a good God, don't we? God bless you. Go with God. I'll see you Wednesday night.